One more surprise about today is that whatever you see in your bulletin as regarding the second reading is not true. <laughs> Being that we had to submit this information to Donna two weeks ago, I changed my mind. Uh, no surprise, and have decided uh, a little bit different uh, journey. Instead, I will read part of what uh, Elder Buddy read this morning, but have included a little more. So the text will come from Genesis 25, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, and uh, included in this uh, will be hopefully an understanding of this word as it is given to us by God. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letishuim, and Limimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanuk, Abida and Eldah. All these were children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living, and he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. This is the length of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Mechpelah, in the sound of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed his son, Isaac, and Isaac settled at Bir Lachai Rorai. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you are old enough to remember the old Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Well, as I read this text, that was the ending of Abraham's life, and now the rest of the story. The last three weeks, I've preached from the book of Genesis, Abraham's and Sarah's, Hagar's and Ishmael's stories, the first family of our hope and trust and faith, the first family of our covenant with God. And these stories have been about the one God, Yahweh, as opposed to all the other pagan gods, the one God, Yahweh, calling Abraham and Sarah to leave their father's house and go to a land that God would show them. First, a little overview. In Abraham's day, it was the custom to go nowhere but to stay close to your family, who was in fact your tribe. They governed by 
primogenitor so that the eldest son would take over from the father when he died. And there was a progression that way and also a process that seemed to go over and over and over again. Nothing much changed. The nature gods they worshiped before Yahweh, the sun and moon and fertility gods pretty much ran things like a circle, looping over and over again the seasons of the year, the days, the nights, and so forth, in a cyclical, never-ending groundhog day of existence. And the gods controlled it all. But then comes Abraham and Sarah, and they hear a different god, Yahweh, the one god, not the gods, call them to leave their father's house. And all of a sudden, that whole cyclical understanding of of the universe has changed with now a beginning and a middle and an end. It is a story a history with character development and plot and crisis, all pointing to a hope of reconciliation at the end. And as the story goes, Abraham and Sarah became the parents of the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims, whose sacred texts all point to the story God is writing with us and through them to the truth that history matters. And history is changeable by hoping and acting against the same old, same old, cyclical, that's the way we've always done it, futility. A futility felt in every family and every generation where there seems to be no progress from the cycle of violence and dependency and dysfunction the pagan gods want us to buy into. I'm listening to Barbara Kingsolver's new book, Demon Copperhead, about a boy born in southwestern Virginia or northeastern Tennessee who was brought up in that hillbilly culture, impoverished and hopeless, this Oxycontin-dependent culture Now I'm almost halfway through it, and it's dark. I've never heard so much hopelessness in the main character's life, Demon Copperhead. I've never heard so much hopelessness and wondering, is there going to be redemption here? Is there going to be reconciliation? The Bible says yes, yet, at the same time. Yes, yet at the same time. Starting with the story of Abraham and Sarah, it lays out for us that the system changes because we are asked to separate from it. To get out from under it emotionally, psychologically, and even physically if needed, if it is that dysfunctional and to go into an unknown future without the cycle of despair. First marriage, counseling in the Bible says that you must leave your father and your mother and cleave to your spouse. And Jesus said it too. It's the only words Jesus said about marriage, you must leave in order to cleave. 
So Abraham and Sarah left and became the first Trekkies in history to boldly go where no one or man has gone before, in spite of the split infinitive. And then going became the first family of hope with God's mission to make of them a great nation, a mission that they found gave them strength for their journey, a journey for Jews, Muslims, and Christians until the end with the promises of reconciliation and peace. Now since today's reading is the last episode of the four-part series I have been preaching, the recap is that with their mission as they went, they came upon one crisis after another and one trial after another, as you would expect, fraught with a thousand camels full of the fleas of family dynamics and threatening kings. Not the least of them, that Sarah, who was Abraham was supposed to start this family of the great nation, was also barren and way past childbirthing age. And after Sarah gave up, thinking she would ever have her own child, she sent her servant woman Hagar into Abraham, hoping that Hagar would be his surrogate and at least have a son by her. And then when Hagar conceived and started showing, she bounced around in front of Sarah to the point that it drove Sarah crazy because Hagar was boasting with the child that Sarah never had. So Sarah went to Abraham and said to him, you gotta get rid of this woman. Abraham, not knowing what to do, prayed to God and God said, let Sarah decide and so Sarah sent her out into the desert, supposedly to die. She was full of a son named Ishmael, she would later have. He too would be Abraham's son, the head of the tribes of the Arabs. But out there in the desert, she thought she was gonna die until a voice from God said to her, go back to where you came from, Sarah and Abraham. And in that, she named the place Lachai Roai, Be'ir Lachai Roai, which means the, the well of God alive sees me. And then gave God to Hagar Ishmael, And Abraham thought Ishmael was the son that God had promised until three strangers show up at a camp that Abraham and Sarah are camped in. They happen to be angels and tell Abraham that indeed Sarah would have a child and they would name him Isaac, which means he laughed, supposedly God laughed, but in hearing that Sarah behind the tent laughed too. Laughed at the absurdity of it, I think as much as the insanity of it. After all, she was over 80. But God did as he said. Sarah got pregnant and gave Abraham and son, and they indeed called him, he laughs, Isaac. But Isaac's life was no laughing matter. When Sarah saw the two half-brothers, Ishmael and Isaac, playing together, Ishmael was laughing for some reason, it's not told, but Sarah thought Ishmael was laughing. 
at Isaac. And so she goes again to Abraham and tells him, you have to get rid of Ishmael and his mother now. And he told, and, he, and, I, and Abraham prayed again to God and God said, go ahead, go ahead and send them back out into the wilderness for I will indeed make of Ishmael a great nation too. And then when they arrived, Abraham, uh, excuse me, uh, when, Sarah, when excuse me, Hagar arrived, God gave them some food and water and they did not perish. They return back into the desert, never to be heard from again, supposedly. Exiling Ishmael leaves Abraham with only one son, Isaac, the second son, the second son, now the heir apparent, not the first, as is often in the Bible, only it all goes sideways when Abraham almost kills Isaac to offer him up as a burnt offering to God until God, who told him to do it, steps in at the last minute with a ram offering to offer up instead of Isaac. If you want my take on what that story means, listen to last week's sermon. Here's a clue. It's all about the absurdity of thinking God demands a blood sacrifice in order to forgive us. That's the recap. I know it's a lot. But now today's rest of the story episode of the season of Abraham and Sarah as they pass their inheritance down to Isaac and his wife Rebekah and surprisingly at this morning's passage proclaimed Hagar and Ishmael as part of that inheritance too. Yes, this huge surprise ending, Hagar and Ishmael, I don't know if you heard it, come back to the finale to bury their father Abraham. Isaac and Ishmael buried their father Abraham. Where did he come from and how? Now I'm going to depend on the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, his commentary on this story to help explain how he thought it happened. Rabbi Sachs says that all Bible stories are surrounded with background stories not mentioned in the text. Events written in the Bible are full of shadowy stories left for the deciphering of us to figure out the hints. The first hint occurs when Abraham sends his servant back to his father's tribe where Abraham had started in Ur, sends his servant back to find him a wife from his father's tribe because you always married your relatives in those days. And the servant picks up Rebecca and brings her back. And Isaac, coming from a distance, the text says he's coming from Be'er Lachai Ro'ai. Coming from a distance, he sees Rebecca. Now, wait a minute. All along, Abraham's family lived in Behir Shiva. What is Isaac doing in Behir Lachai Roi? Second hint. 
After a long marriage of love and faithfulness with a few glitches, all marriages have them, Abraham buys a cave in Hebron and to bury Sarah. And when she dies, Abraham is left outside the cave mourning and wailing and weeping in deep grief. And we expect that at that point, Abraham being as old as he is will just live out the rest of his days in that mourning place and be buried beside her when he dies. But unexpectedly, once Isaac is married to Rebekah, Abraham marries another woman named Keturah and has six children by her. And we know nothing about who she is and what her name means. What is the significance of this, Rabbi Sachs asks. The third clue to the story, behind the story, is revealed in the Bible's description of Abraham's death, which I read this morning. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave in Mechpelah. Yes, his sons, as I said, buried him together. After being sent into the desert to die years before, we assume that those two brothers, Isaac and Ishmael, Isaac, who would become the forefather of Israel, and Ishmael, the forefather of the Arabs, lived in total isolation and would be absolute enemies with each other as it seems to be now. Yet here at the funeral, with no explanation, they are gathered together. Really? There's nothing like the death of, of your parents or parent to open up the painful wounds of family dysfunction, the separations and alienations along the lines of the rest of the family. Talk to any wills and estate uh, lawyer and they will tell you some hung dinger stories as can any pastor who has officiated enough funerals. Things go sideways fast at the wheat reading of the will when all the family members come back for the funeral. I know of a family of two brothers whose father died 13 years ago. The first brother was, was born to his father, uh, his first wife, who died when he was four. The other was born to his father's second wife that he married a couple of years later. The brothers, half-brothers, different mothers, same father, were at war with each other as they became teenagers, and when their father died, it blew up. Thanks to the first son's ability to afford lawyer after lawyer and the other brother's insistence not to be bullied, the will, after 13 years, has yet to be probated, going from court to court twice to the state Supreme Court, costing hundreds of thousands of dollars over what? The elder brothers demand to contest the will in hopes that in doing so, he can find the love and acceptance he felt like he did not get because his real mother died and he had to be raised by a stepmother even though she tried to raise him just like her, her other son. 
The point I'm making is that there are millions of estranged siblings who become more and more estranged as life goes on, and then when the families die, poof, all you know what breaks out. Now, I'm sure I'm not talking about anybody here in this room. None of you have any estranged siblings or children who are estranged. But here in the Bible, we find hints of a story with a different meaning than all of this. All that being the case, the rest of the story, Rabbi Sachs says, is that the Jewish, Jewish sages who wrote the Midrash, that's the commentary for, Jewish, for the Jewish faith, they wrote the Midrash, they, they comment on these texts throughout the ages by piecing all of these hints together to tell a miraculous story an enthralling story that takes us completely by surprise. They point out that Behir Lakai Roai is the place Isaac was coming from when he first saw Rebekah is mentioned only once before in Genesis because it's the spot where Hagar, pregnant and fleeing from Sarah, encountered the angel who told her to return. She named the place Behir Lakai Roai, the well of God alive sees me. She named that. It was Hagar's place that Isaac had been to. And some Jewish commentators say that he went there in search of Hagar to bring to his father Abraham, saying, I shall be married while my father lives alone. I will go to Hagar and bring her to him. The Bible says Abraham married Keturah after Sarah died, and the commentators said Keturah was just another name for Hagar who, like many people in the Bible, had several names. So in the end, Hagar did not end her days as an outcast. She returned at Isaac's prompting and became Abraham's wife, which means Ishmael was no longer banished either as he returned to his father and half-brother too. Also, the Midrash says that Ishmael's second wife, Fatima, Fatima, the name Fatima is significant for in the Quran, Fatima is the daughter of Muhammad. And the Midrash story says that, even though it was written in the 8th century, it says that it is now making an explicit and positive reference to Islam. And the story goes, these are written by Jews now, the story goes that one day when Ishmael was off hunting, Abraham looking for his estranged son, knocked on Fatima's door and knowing it was, not knowing it was Hagar, she knowing it was him, he asked for Ishmael and she said he was not there. And so Abraham left and when Ishmael returned to his mother, she told him the story and then Ishmael knew then that his father who had exiled him still loved him deeply. Voila, reconciliation. The whole story of reconciliation even though it's just the beginning of our story of how we understand history that is lineally through Abraham's journey, not circularly. Jews and Muslims both trace their ancestry to Abraham, half-brothers. They stood together at their fa father's funeral, reconciled and reunited. Strangely, unlike the prodigal son story that we Christians say so often, 
And this story assures us that God's plan for the reconciliation of all people, Jews and Arabs, the least of which, all of us break into even more conflicted and separated family systems in unexpected ways. But read the story and the news, look at a different ending. It doesn't have to be that way. The nation of Israel keeps taking land. They call it a fact. Once it said it is our land, it is now a fact, and they become tells where other Jews live. But it was the Arab lands for thousands, well, yeah, years. And many Muslim fanatics are killing Jews because they refuse to cooperate with any sane reconciliation. Now, I'm not so naive to think there's a solution. All human governance to try to fix this ends up with unintended consequences. But for this Christian preacher, this is a confession. For this preacher, it was not until three weeks ago that I paid any attention to the passage in Genesis where Ishmael and Isaac are gathered together at their father's funeral. In 38 years of ministry, I missed it. And if I missed it, how many more? It leaves me wondering when we read the Bible, what are we looking for as proof texts for what we already believe? especially when it comes to race and clan and family and politics. I guess what I'm asking of us is what I'm asking of me to wake up to these incredible texts that are full of unbelievable storytelling that brings the great surprises together that we do not expect, full of the history of Jews and Arabs and Christians and in the end, it's God's plan of reconciliation that is completely apparent just as it was at the beginning. Aren't we called to live out of this kind of hope? To leave those systems that are so dysfunctional and go out in a new quest with a new journey to start something with more hope and more reconciliation? Aren't we? Jesus did. But that's another story. Amen.